Well, we come to Revelation 3, to the chapter where we're talking about the church of Philadelphia, which we call the Obedient Church. And so it's the sixth of seven churches that we've been looking at. The first church was the church of Ephesus, who had left their first love. The second, Smyrna, the persecuted church, who the Lord had nothing bad to say about. The church of Pergamos, which is the compromising church. The church of Thyatira, which is the immoral church. The church of Sardis, which was the apathetic church. Looked a couple weeks at that one. And now we come to the church of Philadelphia, the obedient church. And uh, Philadelphia, again, as we look at the map, as all of seven of the churches are in what we call Turkey today, once called Asia. We call it Asia Minor today. And uh, you can see as we look at the uh, Mel route, as we go around, um, Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and about 26 miles from Sardis is uh, southwest uh, is Philadelphia. Uh, excuse me, southeast of Sardis is Philadelphia. Um, again, we have a Philadelphia in our country also, but uh, that's not the Philadelphia, the cheesesteak, uh, you know, yo, Adrian, and all that kind of stuff. That's not the Philadelphia we're talking about. Um, Actually, today it's the modern city of Alashir. And uh, interesting enough, it's the, it's, the church is still in existence today. It's a small church, it's a struggling church, but it's still in existence to this day. At the time, it was a beautiful agricultural area. Grapes was the predominant agriculture that was grown there. And uh, it's also on the edge of a fault. And so the volcanic activity is incredibly severe. As a matter of fact, in 17 AD, the city was completely destroyed. And that's why there's very little um, in, the, in the way of um, ruins that are, are left. Here's something from the Byzantine area, uh, much later than the first century, uh, of a Byzantine church that was there, a time when the church was flourishing there in Philadelphia. And uh, we can just keep going through. And there's a few runs in town. There's a sarcophagus or a casket from the, that was in the Byzantine church. And uh, a few more runs and pictures there. Uh, here's some of the uh, columns that were there, a part of that church in, in the Byzantine church. Some carved stones. And then outside of the city is the Temple of Zeus. They had Artemis, uh, Asclepius, and Dionysus, and then outside they also had a temple to Zeus, and that is just very immoral. Uh, group orgies and, and uh, prostitution and, and a very immoral society. And here's some p- various pictures of the temple of Zeus. And uh, as we keep going through there, seeing the inner part of the temple where the statues of Zeus would stand. And uh, there should be a picture of the column. Maybe we skipped that one. Over. That one right there. Interesting that in this particular temple, they had on the columns, and notice the pillars, even though there's earthquakes and wars and destruction, the pillars are still standing. You find that throughout the world because they were so huge and so heavy. Uh, in this particular pillars, they have on them sort of, it looks like a, a, a place that they chisels out so you could write and what they wrote were the names, the secret names of various priests and elite people who were a part of that cult. And uh, the Lord's going to end this letter by saying, I'm going to write, you are going to be a pillar in my house, and I'm going to give you a name uh, that I'm going to put upon my pillar. And so people in this society were ostracized 
by not being a part of their various cults that were there and even persecuted for it. Well, in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he was holy, he was true. He has the key of David. He opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. First of all, he, again, is, is called holy. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, indeed, fully is God. And as God, our God is a holy God. And he also is a true God. In the Greek, they had two words for true. One meant, you know, the opposite of false. But then they had another word, true, which means uh, the opposite of uh, genuine. Or, excuse me, a fake, a phony. So it's saying here that he is genuine. That he's the real thing. I am holy, I'm the real deal. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I fear for you as the serpent deceived Eve that you might be corrupted in the simplicity that's in Christ. And if somebody preaches another, and that it's a different word, a different Jesus, whom we have not preached, and he goes on to say, you may well put up with it. There's one true Jesus. There's one that Jesus has a distinct nature, distinct characteristics. And he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door. And only through him do we come to the Father. And only through him can we have eternal life. There's no other name under heaven in which men can be saved except for this Jesus who is holy, who is the son of the living God. And he also has the key of David. As we look at the next part of this verse, we actually discover it's uh, a verse out of Isaiah 22, verse 22. And it says there, it says, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. This was a time when the Assyrians were attacking the northern part, which was called the country of Israel that time, and then the southern part was the country of Judah. Uh, the Jews had separated into two separate countries, and the north had been destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were now were coming at Judah, and King Hezekiah was crying out to God, and the Lord gave him this word that I am in control. I've got the key. So the key to the treasury of all the treasures of the temple and the treasures of the king were at risk here because of the enemy wanting to take the spoils of the country. And God says, I'm the one who has the key to the treasures. And also, he infers, as you look in verses 20 to 25 there of Isaiah 22, look at the whole picture, it's talking about spiritually the door to the messianic line. That I am the one who's going to put people upon the throne. That God lifts up and God brings down. That God can open doors and no man can shut, and shut doors that no man can open. We know from chapter 1, verse 18... He says, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, he's not saying, I have the key to lock people up. He's talking about, I have the key to let people free. Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's locked people up in various vices and depression and sins to try to shut them down to the point that they would destroy themselves. But Christ has come that we might be free indeed. And he's got the key. He's got the key to get you out of that vice, out of that depression, out of that thing that's bogging your life down, trying to destroy you. We know when Jesus actually died on the cross, he went down into a place called Sheol. In the Old Testament, it talks about it. But it had two sides. One was called Hades, 
And the other was called the paradise or the bosom of Abraham. And he preached the gospel there for three days. And then it says he unlocked that place and set captivity free. That those who believed upon him were set free from that place. And now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he's the one who has the key. When you breathe your last, your last to set you free from this sinful world, to set you free from this body. And to be a brand new person before him for all of eternity. And he is the one that's here to set some of you free today if you'll come unto him. He's the one that can open and no one can shut. Right now, Christ has opened the door to salvation to anybody and everybody who wants to come. No man can shut that door. No demon can shut that door. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, God has nothing but mercy upon the entire planet. If anybody will repent and come unto him, his arms are open to receive you. It doesn't matter how deep your sins. It doesn't matter how numerous your sins. If you come unto him, he will forgive you and receive you unto himself. That door is wide open and nobody can shut it. On the other hand, there is a time when the Lord's going to shut the door and no one's going to be able to open it. I think of that story of Noah as he's building the ark. And the Bible tells us that for 120 years he preached the gospel telling men to come into the ark to be saved from the rain that was going to come. And of course, at that time, it had never rained. All the earth had been watered through a sprinkler system God had built into the planet. And so they mocked him. But God ordered Noah to build a door that was in the side of the ark. And it tells us right before the rains began in Genesis 7 that God shut in Noah, that God shut the door. And then after that, it began to rain. And I am sure as they begin to hear the cries of people saying, okay, I get it, I believe you. Uh, there is what rain, really, water really can fall out of the sky. That even though Noah might have wanted to open to that door, that God had shut it. And only God could open it. And God was not going to open that door. We find the same thing in Matthew 25. Jesus tells the parable about 10 virgins waiting for the a wedding feast to come. And five of them had their lamps full of oil and the wicks trimmed back and they were ready for in a moment when the trumpet blasts and the, they would swoop away off to the wedding feast. But five of them were neglectful. And when the time came, they weren't expecting. They said, hey, share some of your oil with us. And they said, no, we have enough just to get to where we're going. We can't share any with you. So they went and bought some and trimmed their wicks and they lit their lamps and they came to the door where the wedding feast was being held inside and the father came out. And they said, please, we are a part of the wedding party. We've been waiting with them, but we had to go get some oil. And the door was shut and the Lord said, it will not be open for you. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Right now, the door is open to anyone who come can come. But in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, there's going to be the rapture of the church. And I think in that day, there's going to be a lot of believers. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of people saying, I didn't want to live holy, but I'm ready to live holy now. I didn't want to give my life to God, but I'm ready right now. But that door is already shut. 
And they will not enter into that marriage supper of the Lamb with the church. And then in verse 8, he says, For I know your works. Now, to this point, we've sort of been studying the churches, and when he says, I know your works, we all sort of cringe because he's getting ready to point out the hypocrisy or their wickedness and tell them to repent. But here, you don't have to cringe today because, like the church of Smyrna, the church of Philadelphia, God has no rebuke for them, no correction, only encouragement and praise. And he says, see, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Guys, I'm going to do what you've been wanting me to do for a long time. And that is I'm going to open the door for you. Now, as we study through the epistles, the concept of the door being open is referring to evangelism. Satan being bound and men's hearts being opened up to receive the gospel. A matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul says, And a great and effective door has opened to me. And, interesting enough, there are many adversaries. So that's exactly where you would expect Satan to be. A place where God's opened the door to try to hinder the work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Furthermore, when I came to Churaz to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am an ambassador also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And so Paul saying, church, pray, please, that God would open this door. Pray that when I go, their hearts are open, willing to receive. Maybe you've experienced that, where you've tried to share the Lord at work, and all of a sudden, boom, people's hearts are opened. I do not wish it upon us again. But after 9-1-1, it was a beautiful couple of months there, wasn't it? For us who are Christians... We saw hearts open that have never been open in some cases. People willing to talk about God and eternity and life and death. The things that are essential to prepare their life for eternal life. And and all of a sudden they're open and prayer meetings where prayer meetings were never allowed. And talk about God freely in the classroom where it's always been shut down. There was a pocket of time where there was an open door after those few months after 9-1-1. And it was a precious, precious time. I remember several years back at the Y2K and people also worried, oh, you know, we're not going to have any water, electricity and no food and, you know, everything's going to stop. And, and I kept coming back to the church saying, great, <laughs> who cares? God's going to take care of us. We may be hungry or poor for a while, but that's fine. We all need to lose weight. We all need to suffer a little bit. It's not going to do us any harm. But imagine if the, our country came to a screeching halt like they were predicting, how many hearts would be open to the gospel like never before? People can't go to work. They're going to be set around the house all day. Their TVs aren't going to work. The radios aren't going to work. You have all day to share with your neighbors like you've never had before. What an awesome time that would have been. And as believers, that should be our heart. Paul says there's one thing that matters. And that there's doors that are open that I could preach as I ought to preach. He asked the church in Ephesus the same thing. 
There in verse 18 to 20, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of Christ, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul's saying, I'm chained up here, but I'm also finding myself timid when I should be bold. I'm finding myself backing off when I should be moving forward. Pray for me. A door would be open, he says, to the church of Colossae, church of Ephesus, that I would do the very thing I ought to do. And that is open my mouth when I should open it. I love the very last thing we learn about Apostle Paul. In Acts 28, it says in verse 31 that he went preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. The first time he came to Rome, they released him. And there was an open door for Paul. The last of the book of Acts tells us that he went out and he had a confidence that he had not had before. And that he went unhindered, like he had never been unhindered in preaching the gospel. Guys, listen. God answers prayer. And how Paul said, guys, let's pray that God would open a door like we've never seen before. That's, that's our heart. You who have been a part of the church for a while, you know that every Sunday night we come together and we pray together for that very thing. There's hundreds of people that come now and we cry out to God for that very thing that we'd be empowered by the Spirit, for that very thing that doors would be open. He says, I've set before you an open door. Right now, that's not the case at work with your parents, with your kids, in your neighborhood. You've tried and boy, it was an iron door slamming in your face and you walk away with a crooked nose. (laughs) It wasn't an open door. But that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way how we need to pray. And there is a time, guys, of revival that is going to come that's going to blow our minds. We've been praying for years and it's going to be the epicenter right here at Calvary Chapel, San Diego, and it's going to shake the whole world. Because when we pray according to his will, he hears us. We have the very thing we ask of him. I look in the last several years of so many open doors that God has had for us. So many hearts coming here to church, receiving the Lord, recommitting their life to the Lord. It always amazes me every summer, hundreds of people get baptized. And we have one baptism, we think, surely there's nobody else. We have another baptism. (laughs) Surely there's nobody else. We have another baptism. It's just amazing how many people through the course of the year have come to receive Christ as their Lord and publicly are willing to be baptized to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Getting in this building here, getting this property, what a miracle. If you guys realized how God opened the doors, it would blow your mind. I remember one instance where it was a Tuesday or so and and the bank told us we had to have X amount of money in our bank account. And we sort of chuckled because it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've never had that. And somebody called up in our church and said, I just received an inheritance. I can't wait till Sunday. I'm so excited to tithe. And they came and they wrote a check. It was the exact amount. And we were supposed to start on Monday. And the bank said, if the money's not there, you don't start on Monday. And we just said, by faith, have everybody out there ready to go. And 
brought it in on Friday. We were able to call the bank saying, make sure everybody's going on Monday. We got the money. Amazing. I mean, story after story after story where only God could have the key to open such a door. And we're here by God opening the door, and now we want to be a light. There's hundreds of thousands of people that are moving to our area. We don't have to go to the mission field. It's coming to us. (laughs) Boy, I hate San Diego being crowded. I love it. The more people here, the less missionaries we got to send out. But how we desire just to have such an open door that hearts would be touched. People who have never thought about God or wanted anything to do with God, that God would open a door by putting the heaviness of his spirit upon them, convicting them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And for them to see this right here, the highest point in Chula Vista, this tower setting up here, and and something would just draw them to come here to hear the gospel, or God would just open a door. Like he's never opened a door, your neighbor coming, saying, tell me about Jesus, I am so depressed, there's something going on, I have something in your life, I want to know about it, and you share the Lord with them. God desires to do that for you. God's already doing that for us. But how? Times a thousand. We want him to do it again. Just to continue to open even greater doors. And and no one is going to shut those doors. All the powers of hell, all the screaming demons on the earth, cannot keep that door from shutting once the Lord opens such a door. But notice the condition of these people with this open door. First of all, notice, there's three things. First of all, number one, they had little strength. Isn't it always funny how we think that when God opens the door, you know, we're going to walk out and be powerful and strong. These great warriors, you know, we pull our belt like Sinbad and, you know, our chest blows up or get at this can of spinach like Popeye and, ah, we walk through the door and stand back, Billy Graham, I'll show you how it's done. Ah, you know. There's this incredible door. These guys were fruitful like they've never been fruitful, but they came limping through the door and their own, they were completely weak. And I love that. Because we can't add to it with our flesh. (laughs) Because we're too weak to add to it with our flesh. God told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he he said, in in your weakness, my strength is going to be made perfect. Paul said, then I gladly rejoice in my weaknesses, in my needs, in my infirmities, in my persecutions. There's only one thing that matters, not my self-strength, but that your power is manifested perfectly in me. When we look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, he wrote half in the New Testament. He started hundreds of churches. But look at the condition of Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, at the very end of his missionary journeys, okay? Look at his condition when he preached. You know, we always think of this great, powerful evangelist. But look at what was really going on inside Paul. Probably very something something similar to what's going on in you when you try to share the Lord. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love that. That Paul lets us know there is this great door opened, and he's fearful. 
He feels weak. He's intimidated. But yet he still goes through that door. And boy, that's such a word for us today. God opens that door to share with your boss or to share with your coworker or your neighbor that you say, well, it must not be the Lord because I'm too afraid right now. It must not be the Lord because I don't have the courage. It must not be the Lord because I got a headache and I feel really sick. It must not be the Lord because I'm so tired today. Guys, when God opens the door, you may be in the weakest state you've ever been. And I love it because when God works in a powerful way, he shares his glory with no man. All the glory goes to the Lord. So they came and they came in weakness. Interesting in 2 Corinthians 3, again, Paul, at the end of his ministry, he says there in in verses 4 through 6, and we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is what? From God, who's made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but by the Spirit. And he goes on. And so we're never sufficient, even if we think we're sufficient. We're not sufficient. It's God and the power of spirit that leads men into salvation. It's not your words or your lack of words. It's not your intelligence or your lack of intelligence. It's not the information you put in or left out. It's God's spirit who leads people into himself. So first of all, when this great, wonderful door was opened, they had little strength. Secondly, they were people who had kept the word. They stood on the word. I'm amazed in the day we are living in how people, how Christians are abandoning the word of God. They're throwing it to the side for something different. There is an interview by, well, one of the largest churches in America right now, Christian churches in America right now. And they were interviewing this pastor who has a following of thousands of pastors coming here at seminars. And they asked him, well, tell us, what's your position on abortion? What's your position on homosexuality? And he said, I have no position because those are all political issues and I will not discuss them with you and I never bring them up in the church. That's an apostate position. (laughs) It would be controversial, so I'm not going to talk about it. The same guy tells you, don't mention Jesus, say God. Never mention repentance or hell or sin. Talk about boundaries. Talk about life changes. Talk about wise choices. Talk about the five steps of success or the three ways of getting over depression. But don't mention Christ and him crucified because it's going to offend people and your church won't grow. Fine. (laughs) We're not going to build the church on our flesh. Jesus said in, in Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain who can build it. We can build it, but then we're going to have an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. I, I, I know how to feed man's flesh. I know how to feed my flesh, or I know how to feed other people's flesh. I could be a charismatic personality and get all the bells and the whistles and the glitter and, and make this nice little show to try to compete what's going on in TV. But it would be the flesh and we'd have a bunch of people showing up and there'd be no depth. There'd be no spiritual growth. And the moment you begin to challenge them, they're going to leave. 
Jesus stopped the multitude and said, unless you're willing to deny yourself, take up a cross, you can't follow me. That wasn't offensive enough. Later on, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Everybody left. That was Jesus' growth plan. (laughs) Grossed them out and they all left. Looked at his apostles and said, you guys are still around? Well, you're freaking us out too, but who else has words of eternal life? And then he says, well, those words are spirit and they're life. Jesus didn't try to cater to man's flesh, cater to man's entertainment to try to draw them to himself. It's the trickery of men and all the demographics in the world and all the tantalizing of man with slick programs and fancy-dancy sermons. God can't honor that stuff. Maybe for a season, but not ultimately. But this is a church that kept God's word, and we're a church that keeps God's word. I'm amazed, and even in the Calvary Chapel movement, I'm amazed how many people are no longer wanting just to teach verse by verse through God's word because a lot of people don't want to hear it. There is a lot of people that don't want to hear it, and there's other churches they can go to. But how God tells us that we are to take his word, Isaiah 28, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. How Jesus, after he raised from the dead on the Maus Road, he took them through the scriptures from the beginning to the end, telling them about how Christ must suffer and die. And it's a hard thing sometimes. We just talked to the minor prophets and the major prophets. Sunday night, here's a great church growth program. Teach Leviticus. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, God's meeting us so powerfully every single Sunday night in Leviticus. It's just amazing. Had a guy come here a while back. Actually, he's an assistant pastor now up in the Bay Area. And him and his wife got saved when I taught Leviticus last time. He told me the chapter and I re-listened to it going, how could anybody be saved by it? But God's word's all powerful. And this church was holding on to God's word. In the last days, it's going to get harder to hold on to God's word. In Matthew 24, it says, they're going to deliver you up to tribulation to kill you. You'll be hated by all nations. You can't go and hide anywhere. All the nations are going to equally hate you. For my name's sake, because you're holding to the word. And then many will be offended. Boy, people are offended. They're passing laws to make sure (laughs) that we don't talk openly against homosexuality and and abortion and these things. It is Arnold Schwarzenegger just passed the AB 1234 or 1234 bill and it's totally unconstitutional. It's incredibly vague. We're just in the last days. There's only way that thing could have passed is the only answer is spiritual. You'll be betrayed by one another. You'll be hated by one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because of his lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Notice verse 14, right in the middle of all this, and the word in the Greek is the word kai, K-A-I. It's, it's the same word for and or but, and I think it would have been better translated here, but. But this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all those nations. Go back up. All nations are going to hate you. And then the end will come. So even though the world is going greater and greater into wickedness, hating more and more the things of Jesus, 
offended more and more by his word, even though we may be with little strength. Guess what? (laughs) We're going to finally be able to preach the word like we've never been able to preach the word. I love it. You know, we have such a, we have a thing happening here in America that just, it's, it's almost dumbfounding when you really look at it, especially when you compare it to other countries. You know, in America, we look at coming to church and hearing God's word as, as something, man, is get in as quick as you can, get out as quick as you can, give me the closest parking place, let me come as late as I can, let me get out of here as quick as I can, make the sermon short, man, or I'm not going to come back. You know, you better make the worship like this or I'm going to go to the other. It's this whole thing of, but in other countries, it's not that way. They come an hour early and they stay for three hours later. It's, it's the highlight of their week. It's not just one of many things I got to do in the week and it's sort of annoying I have to do it, but you know, I'm not going to be some pagan and not go to church. So I'm going to show up, but I'm going to get in and get out as quick as I can, just like I do at the dentist's office. And it's, it's just this spiritual mentality. It's just grievous. When in reality, the word of God should be the highlight of every day. And it should be the highlight of all our day. <laughs> Meditating in it day and night. And let me tell you something. The reason they had such an open door there in Philadelphia is because they held onto the word doesn't matter about your strength because we're operating in God's strength. But you held on to God's word. And let me say to you dads who are beating your flesh into subjection every day and spending time in God's word, God is going to honor that and you're going to have an open door with your kids. You're going to have an open door in your workplace. Even though Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kept being persecuted for standing firm, uncompromising God kept lifting them up until they were the top in the Babylonian Empire, and then they were a top in the Medo-Persian Empire, because they did not compromise. One of the key leaders in our country today had said when he was in his teenage years and trying to figure out what was going on and doubting a lot of things, when his whole world was sort of spinning out of control because of the choices he was making, because of the difficulties he was in and rebelling as a teenager, that he would set his alarm sometimes early in the morning just to wake up, to go in and open the door to dad's office, to peek in and say, is my dad still doing it? And when he saw his dad on his knees or saw his dad reading the Bible, he would say in his heart, even though I'm not ready to submit yet, it's real. It's real. And the peace and the blessings that my parents have come because they're faithful to God's word. It's a difficult thing to find in our culture today throughout the world, people who will faithfully teach God's word. God's blessing us as a church and continue to bless us as a church because we're holding to God's word. We're not going to be swayed to start trying to entertain people or try to be swayed to try to do the latest program in town to keep up with the other churches. We're just going to stay faithful, do what we've always been doing for almost 20 years. You moms who are faithfully in the word, faithfully trying to share that word, trying to pour it into your little ones. God is going to honor that with an open door before you. Your children one day will raise up and they will praise you because of that godliness of holding to God's word.
Jesus in Matthew 13 tells us that when the word of God goes out, it falls upon the street and Satan comes and snatches it away. But in Matthew 13, 20, on the stony ground it falls, or on the thin soil, and it says that it receives the word for a short time, and it receives it with joy, but yet, it says in verse 21 of Matthew 13, yet they had no root in themselves, and they endure only for a while. But when tribulations and persecutions arise because of the word, in Luke 8, 13, he adds, in the time of temptation, So tribulation, persecutions, temptation, because of the word, they will stumble and fall. And there's people who will casually look at the Bible, casually believe in the Bible, casually call themselves a Christian, and as things begin to intensify in these last days, and there is a price to pay to be a Christian, they are unwilling to pay that price because they've always been shallow. There's never been a deep root of commitment, of surrender, of faith in God's word as true. Some of the seeds fall in the th- the, among the thorns. So this plant's trying to grow up with all these weeds wrapping around the roots. And this is a person who receives the words and the th- thorns. He hears the word, and, but the cares of this life. There's some of you that are so worried about your jobs and your money and your sports and your hobbies and and your cars, and your houses, and the cares of this life, Satan's using them to steer you away, to lose your focus off of seeking God first and his kingdom. And the deceitfulness of riches. I'll follow God, but it's not going to take any of my money. My money's mine, and you know, my heart's God's, but my money's mine. I'm not going to let God cut into my finances here. In Mark 4.19, he adds, the desires of other things enter in cares of this life, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches. In Luke 8, 14, he adds, the pleasures of life. God's given us all things to enjoy, but if they take us away from focusing on Jesus, it can be something that can choke out the word and we become unfruitful. And then finally, the word falls on the good soil. And it says it comes into the ground. The guy hears the word of God, understands it. In Mark 4.20, he adds, accepts it. In Luke 8.15, he says, with a noble and a good heart, he keeps it and bears fruit with patience, the continuing in the word, and then bears fruit hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And so we find that even though this church had an open door, they were weak. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their programs. It wasn't their finesse that opened the door because they were weak. But the reason that door is open is they were faithful to God's word. And then thirdly, they did not deny my name. They, they proclaimed themselves to be Christians even when it cost them. And on top of that, um, they didn't deny his character, his nature, staying in the humble Jesus style. So many things churches do today and they're so opposite of the nature of Jesus, who is gentle and lowly and humble of heart. But yet they try to present themselves as some, they try to present Jesus as some glorified actor or some rock star, you know. When Jesus is just a humble servant, a nobody from Nazareth. But yet they remained with that humble servant heart. And God can honor that. So when you think about this church, it was an evangelistic church that God made it evangelistic by opening doors. They stayed steady to God's word. And they were faithful to Jesus, that is, in keeping his word and in not denying his name. So to the outward man, it may not look like anything spectacular. You go, man, that's not hip or cutting edge or radical. Well, in God's mind, 
It's radical. Depends on how you measure the standard of accomplishment. To me, that's, you can't find a better description of a successful church. Through prayer, through seeking the Lord, God opened doors that had been shut. Staying true to God's word, making disciples, building them up in the word. And not denying the name of the Lord, even though they were in a weakened condition without strength. And then in verse 9, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Again, this is quoting out of Isaiah forty-five fourteen, Isaiah 49, 23, and Isaiah 60, verse 14. When the Lord says that the Gentiles who are now trying to destroy you, one day they're going to see that they're worshiping all the false gods and that the true God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And one day, these guys who are now trying to destroy you, they're going to bow down and worship the the living God, even though it says worshiping at your feet. It's not referring to worshiping you, but worshiping God. And now the tables are turned, and he's saying the Jews, not all the Jews, just a handful of the religious, zealous Jews who hate Christianity... Some Jews do hate Christianity because we use their Bible and we tell them their Messiah came and they missed him. That is a rather offensive thing. (laughs) But most Jews could care less either way. Um, They don't even believe in God for the most part. It's very sad. So I in no way want to try to say that all Jews persecute Christians or there's a pocket of them and that pocket of Jews that persecuted Christians He says to them that one day they're going to bow down next to you and they're going to say, you really are worshiping the true God, the true Messiah that you missed and sort of turning the tables. Interesting that that should be the reaction of everybody who comes in these doors. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says in verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, He is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. For thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's what should happen when it comes in here. We're operating in the gifts of the Spirit. We're operating in the power of God's Spirit. And when a non-believer comes in, he senses the love. He senses the presence. He senses Jesus in the place. And there is where ministering to him is like, how did you know about my life? How, are, how is it you're talking about me? And it's not. It's just God's spirit touching their hearts. And they fall on their face and say, this is the very thing that I need. Maybe some of you here have come today. For that very thing, there's been this hunger, this cry in your heart. It's God. He's reeling you in. He's bringing you to himself. And you shouldn't fight it any longer. You should come to him today. And then those people are going to know of the great love that God has for you. They're going to see it one day. Those who are persecuting you now, those who are not willing to follow Jesus, one day they're going to stand before Jesus and they're going to see a love like they've never seen before. And that love is going to be towards his bride, which is the church. And in verse 10 he says, Because you have kept my commandment to preserve, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, referring to the seven-year tribulation period which you shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Remember earlier to the church of Thyatira, he told them that if they didn't repent of their sexual immorality, that he was going to throw them 
into the great tribulation unless they repented. But now the opposite is true here to this church who is preserving, hanging on, fighting the good fight to the end. He says you're not going to have to go through the difficult time of that tribulation period. Again, just try to picture it if you would. All of a sudden, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, millions of people all over the planet disappear. Pilots in planes are gone. (laughs) Millions of people driving cars are gone. Thousands of planes crashing. Millions of cars crashing. Doctors in the middle of an operation disappearing. Key people who run the sewage plants and the water plants and the power plants are all of a sudden gone. They have the information. They have the codes. They have the know-how. You can imagine the entire world is going to be thrown into a third world status in a moment. And it's going to probably take them years to try to recover back the information lost and to educate the people to get them back into that place. And so those people who are not ready are going to be left upon this planet. In Luke 21, he says it's going to be a snare on all those who dwell in the face of the whole earth. But he said to you, I'm going to spare you from that difficulty because you're persevering, you're hanging in there. And in verse 11 of Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. We talked about this before. It doesn't mean in time. It means suddenly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come in a moment, in a twinkling eye, when you, don't ex- when you least expect it. The Lord's going to come back. And he says, Hold fast what you have. I've given you this door, this open door. Walk through it and keep walking through it. Don't get shy. Don't get discouraged. Don't get depressed. Don't start stepping back when you're supposed to be moving forward. Even when you're not in this weakened state, you start to have some strength. Don't start getting independent away from God. Remain dependent upon the Lord. Be faithful to the word. Don't deny his name. Keep in, keep on keeping in there. God's not going to grade on a curve. He's not going to say, okay, you lived for 80 years, and in that 80 years, 35 of those years, you lived for me, so I'm going to count it. It's not going to work that way. When you have a marathon, if some guy quits after 18 miles, they don't say, well, you know, we're just going to calculate the amount of time it took you to run those 18 miles and calculate it out as if you had ran the 24 miles. Okay, yeah, that puts you in about 11th place. Is that the way it works? You quit on the 18th mile, it doesn't matter what you did on those 18 miles. Because you didn't cross the finish line, all your running doesn't count. In the same way, it's been great that you've been faithful to God's word thus far. It's been, faith, it's been great that you've walked through those open doors. It's been awesome to this point that you've not denied his name. But guys, hold on. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get darker before the sun comes up. And we need to hold fast and cross that line to fight the good fight, to finish the race. And don't let anyone take your crown. We find four crowns. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, it says, And what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is coming for you, our glory and joy. So it's you as a believer and the person who led you to the Lord, and the other Christians around. It's our crown to see you there standing in heaven. 
Secondly, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We first see the crown of rejoicing, now the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only me only, but all who lo- love is appearing. So people who are ready when the Lord comes back. In Jude, it says that some are going to shrink away in shame at his appearing there in 1 John chapter 2.28. There's going to be some who are going to be embarrassed when the Lord comes. If there's others who are going to be ready, man, they're, they're ready for it and they're just living a righteous, holy life and God comes back and there's just an abundant entry. There's a special crown of righteousness for people who are ready at his coming. In James 1.12, it tells us there, blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he is approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there's people who fought temptation and won, who didn't give in to temptation. There's another crown, a crown of life for that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, it says, And being Lord over those who trusted you, not being Lord over those who trusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So being a leader, a leader in the church is what he's talking about. But you dads, you moms, being leaders in your homes, being leaders in your sphere, there's a crown of glory. So there's a crown of rejoicing, there's a crown of righteousness, there's a crown of life, and there's a crown of glory. Don't let anybody take any of those crowns away from you. Stay steadfast till the end. And in verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. No more earthquakes are going to shake things up. No more demons are going to be messing with you. There's going to be no more temptation and no more peer pressure. I'll tell you what, there's so many awesome things about heaven. But just no more pressure. That's enough to make me want to go to heaven. No more pressure having to fight my sinful flesh. No more pressure, men trying to sway you to sin. There's no more worry. No more tears. No more fighting. We're finally going to be able to set aside our sword and our shield. We're going to finally be able to just never have to fight in another battle again. And we're going to be pillars in the house of God. We're going to be solidly standing with the Lord for all of eternity. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and new Jerusalem which came down out of heaven for my God and I will write on him my new name. So as the Zeus temple we saw where they wrote stuff there, he's saying you're going to have a plaque on that pillar and it's going to be written there upon that you have received heaven, the new Jerusalem, and a precious new name that God has just for you. In the religion they had, they had secret code names in the mystery religions. Well, I'm going to give you a secret name for all of eternity that you're going to be able to stand forever and ever. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you hear what God's saying today to you? No rebuke here. Just stay steady. Guys, it pays to be faithful. If you are married here today, you know how good it gets in marriage. You go through hard times, but you stick it out. Somehow you didn't kill each other and You know, you've been married 20 plus years. It's sweet and it gets sweeter. Be faithful in raising your kids. Be faithful in gathering together and as the body of Christ. Be faithful in your ministry. 
when we get to heaven, it's all going to be worth it. Right now, we sort of wonder, there's so much pain. Is the payday going to be worth it? (laughs) It's so difficult to keep it up. Is it going to be worth it? Guys, and the Lord's telling us here, yes, yes, and yes. It will be worth it. I believe we are the Church of Philadelphia. I'm a little biased, I admit. But we are a church of brotherly love. Before the church ever started, me and my wife Cheryl, we prayed often. We just said, God, all we want is the most loving, the most giving, the most caring church on the planet. Outside of that, we don't care what you do. We don't care if it's two people or a million. We don't care if we're rich or poor. We don't care if we have a big influence or a small influence. Just bring a group of people together that truly love one another and want to give to one another and want to serve one another. And I believe like Solomon, God answered that prayer. And it's a precious work God has done here amongst us. And he has opened doors and I believe he's going to open doors that are going to blow our mind. But until then, Lots of strength or little strength. Let's be faithful. Hold on until the end. Let's all bow our heads. Lord, we thank you again for your word today. And we thank you for the preciousness of it. And Lord, we receive this encouragement. We know in the last days it's going to get more and more intense. 30 years ago to say homosexuality was weird or sinful, everybody agreed. Even atheists agreed with that at that time. Now it's like some absurd thing. At one time to say going to church was a good thing. The Bible's a good thing. Everybody agreed. Now it can't even be mentioned in the school systems without some kind of retribution. But Lord, there's some here today that even though their parents aren't following you, they are. Even though their kids aren't following you, they are even though they're all alone on their own island because they've chosen to follow you, yet they have stood fast, have not denied your name, have not lessened in the word of God. And even though they're beaten down because of the world and Satan who's out to kill, still and destroy, yet even a weak, weak and conditioned, their heart is fully committed to you. We thank you, Lord, for that blessing. And Lord, we ask right now that there's any here today that need to give their lives to you totally, that you would do it, God. You'd give them the grace right now. If you're here right now, and you're saying, man, that's, that's me. God brought me in here today, and I need Jesus in my life. I want my sins taken away. I want the guilt of my sin taken away. I want Christ to come into my life right now. Or maybe you're here today going, man, I haven't been faithful. In my weakened condition, Satan took advantage of me and I've denied the word. I've denied his name. I'm not where I need to be. Just get up right now. Get out of the pig pen you are. Go home. You'll find when the Father sees you, he runs to you and robes you and puts a ring upon your finger and rejoices that my son who was lost is now found. You'll find a throne of mercy and grace. He'll receive you to himself. So right now, as you're sitting where you're at right this morning, Just cry out, God, I give my life to you today. Lord, I surrender myself to you completely, oh Lord. I totally give myself to you today, oh God. Take my life, Lord, I'm yours. Give me the grace now to get up and to seek you like I've never sought you before. In Jesus' precious name.
and bless all those who have been encouraged today by your word. Let this word go deep into their hearts and heal them. Let this word be like a shower turned on and wash them in your word today. And Lord, I ask tonight that you'd meet us powerfully in the book of Leviticus and Lord, tonight in the, as we just seek your face, that you would open doors that have never been opened before, that you'd do greater things still. Give us grace to seek you like never before in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, before you go out, find somebody you don't know, get their name, and one thing you can pray for them this week. God bless you all. I encourage you to see you back tonight.